here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Canon USA. They provide industry-leading production and large-format printing solutions supported by exceptional professional service offerings. On today's Gamut Podcast, we have a very special guest, Michael Ballet. He is a lean management practitioner, one of the leading voices in the lean movement. He's a prolific business writer and author. He's recently written a book, co-authored with his father, Freddie Ballet, called Lead with Respect, a novel of lean practice. And for the past 25 years, he has studied firsthand lean transformations, helping companies and people in fields like manufacturing, engineering, construction, services, and healthcare make the transition to different ways of working and managing. Good morning, Michael. Great to have you on the Gamut Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Michael, we are we are very fortunate to have you on today with us to talk about lean. And uh, the reason that uh, I think it's so important is that, number one, our industry has declined significantly uh, over the last several decades for a variety of reasons beyond our control. But there are things that we haven't done that are within our control, and that is to adopt to adopt better ways of doing business, better thinking and approaches to operating our our companies. And uh, again, the ultimate goal is to grow our business, sustain our business long term and to maximize our profitability and ultimately serve our customers. And compared to aerospace, automotive, telecommunications, computers, uh, our industry has uh, it's kind of behind uh, as far as the adoption of lean. And you have written extensively on this subject. This is your passion. Um, you are also a person that has transformed companies from a variety of different uh, sectors, whether it's healthcare, automotive, and I can go on and on. But uh, you've done this firsthand. So, you know, we find people that are in the print and packaging industry, they may have hired a Six Sigma expert or black belts, or they've hired a consultant they have a process engineer on staff and they and sometimes they really don't understand uh, the values or the principles of lean. So can you help clarify that for us? Strangely, that's a tough one because one of the beauties of lean is that um, it's not um, it, this is not an operational thing you roll out. So this is not like if you ask me what is Six Sigma, which is to get variation reduced to um, everything down to a Six Sigma level. So that's pretty square. Uh, when you talk about lean, lean is a tradition that comes from Toyota. And that is transmitted orally through senseis, people who have been taught by others. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, you have uh, different interpretations, different takes. And and um, before I before I'll, I'll try I'll try my hand at the definition of lean. I'll uh, maybe 
what I find unique in Lean that you'll find in no other uh, management method is that uh, in the West, we have always been obsessed with controlling people's behavior and understanding behavior. And it's all about making them behave this way and making them behave that way. And the the core assumption of Lean is that people will behave whichever way they want to. I mean, they're they're free. So Lean is the only management method I know that looks into how people think. And the core idea of Lean is that people, if people understand better what they do and where you want them to go, then they'll work better. Now, having said that, to me, Lean is first um, a method. We're first seeking the continuity of customer satisfaction. Okay. And we're seeking the continuity of first customer satisfaction by exploring a, a, a mystery, which is value. Value as being what you give to customers, the functionalities, the benefits for customers, divided by the total cost. And we do so by developing people. So most um, most traditional ways to deliver value is to focus on the technical side. You invest in machines and processes and techniques, and now there's always a new one being fashionable. Is it IoT? Is it um, mm-hmm. IA? Whatever. And, and in Lean, of course, you do this as well. But really what we do is we invest in people because people are the guys who people are, will make these techniques actually turn from a potential advantage, something that you have, into a real benefit to the customer because only people can understand what people want. So if I had my definition of, people, of Lean is better products through better thinking, through better people. So it's really developing, developing products through developing people. When did you first come to know Lean, Michael? Where, uh, where were you introduced initially to the philosophy? Um, my father yeah. um, is a French Lean pioneer. He was a, a, an, an executive in uh, Renault, the, friend, the car, car company, the French car company. And he was head of product planning. Mm-hmm. And, some of his, and we're back in 1975. I mean, we're back in... in uh, yeah previous century and um as some of these guys says you know there are these japanese guys killing us in africa they must be dumping so he said okay so he sent a couple of his guys go and check out the factory and they came back well we don't understand how they're how they can be making any money but they're not dumping their costs are incredibly low so he went there and this was toyota it was the first time uh, western people had visited toyota and he was just astounded by what he saw and and from then he started going back there every year and trying to apply to Renault and then to, to the suppliers what he learned from Toyota. So skip many years. And I was doing PhD research on mental models. So nothing to do with industry or lean or whatever. And I was looking for something, to, uh, a place to study where people would look at the same thing but have different worldviews. Right. It turns out, it's it's not so easy. Mostly people disagree, but they they have the they make the same assumptions. They have the same worldview. They disagree on which part is important and which is not, but they have the same take. Is this some? Is this a uh, psychometric type of uh, control group study that you're talking? About? It was just I was just wanted observation before I got into any form of control. I just wanted to observe something, you know, case study. Got it. And so I talked to this, my dad who says, why why don't you get a real job? I said, thanks dad. (laughs) 
And uh, but if you want, Toyota, we're doing something really interesting with with our supplier to Toyota, and Toyota is teaching us some really interesting things. And it's not always going well, so you can go there and say, "Dad, the factory, me? Are you kidding? Yeah, there's no way." And and I wasn't as dumb as I could have been, and I went, and I just fell off my chair. I, I saw Toyota engineers working with their supplier and this was nothing i was not prepared for this it was incredible and it was kaizen it was relatively smooth it was so smooth with the operators uh manufacturing engineers were were their usual pain but they got over it uh, but it was a, a completely different approach so I would ask the guys there listen i i can see you transform this cell the results are incredible I'm doing this research. Please give me your roadmap. Please, please give me the method. I mean, how are you doing this? And they kept answering back. We just solve one problem after the other. We go with the operators and we solve one problem after the other. Okay, yeah, come on. Yeah, I understand this is competitive and you don't want to share it, but it's just right. from my research. I just need to know. Please tell me what you do. And then one guy, one of the, the, the engineers in charge who got a bit irritated and say, okay, we don't have a method. We have one golden rule. We make people before we make parts. What does that mean? Make people before we make parts. Is that? Now, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the interesting thing is that I spent my entire career studying this single sentence. And not only that, not only is it a bit dumb to spend your entire life studying, this professional life studying one sentence, but it took me 10 years that as a sociologist, I was studying the we make people part. But if I wanted to understand the sentence, <laughs> I have to understand the we make parts part. So I had to mm -hmm. understand products as well as people. So so there you go. So not only was I studying uh, one sentence, I was only studying half a sentence. Right. So what this means is that um, you design a product uh, in print terms, um, somebody designed the box, the mm -hmm. package. Yep. Yeah. And then you run it through production. So you run it through the presses and you have all these technical processes and so forth. What it really means is that they've invented a number of ways to turn production into a gigantic test machine. So whenever something goes wrong, the machine stops, the process stops, something stops. And you look at the issue right away. Now, as you do this, people become incredibly knowledgeable about the technical process itself because they've seen it all. So this is a complete, this is a radical difference to how we do industry. And the way we do industry is that there's a supervisor in charge of deciding what you produce when. So if I go to your factory and I look at a press, there's a guy somewhere who's in charge of saying, okay, guys, we're doing this box now, and now we'll print this one, and then we'll print this one. And when something goes wrong, this guy says, okay, don't work on this, go and work on this instead. You know? Now, mostly it's not just a guy, there's a, a whole ERP system to get you to do that. Mm -hmm. And the whole focus is that you need to keep people working. So if something is not right, if you don't have the supplies or so forth, you just move them to something else. And then at the result of this process, we have a specialized department that controls quality. 
So we have some quality checkers. I mean, they're there with their eyeglasses and they look at it right. and they tell you if what you've produced is correct or not. So you have traditionally you have the management line is in charge of scheduling work and making it done so that people are always busy. And then you have a staff department in charge of controlling quality. And it's got to be crazy with quality systems and whatever. The, the Japanese revolution, the Toyota revolution, was to turn this around. They have a specialist department that sends you Kanban cards that tells you what you have to print in small batches when. Mm-hmm. It's like being in a restaurant. You, 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 people take orders. They send it to the kitchen. The kitchen just has to do the dish. They can't decide, oh, no, we'll do this one first or this one first because people will get really upset when they're waiting and they see somebody else getting the dish with that came later. So one specialist department does this. And then the job of the supervisor is to make sure that everything that comes out is of good quality. So first it's that line inspection got good quality and then every operation. And then to the point that we make people because every operator is in charge of good quality of the work. So that's to answer, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but what does it make making people making people is that people understand the what we're trying to do in general with our mission, with our vision, and they can relate it to hugely detailed things that are problems in doing that. So this gives them a technical level of competence that nobody else has. Now we. And what we do for ID Alliance, that's who I work with, and we spend a lot of time with a variety of different uh, uh, knowledgeable, could be PhDs in ink chemistry, it could be uh, uh, inventors of spectrophotometry, measuring instruments, that kind of thing. And then we sit together along with manufacturers, brands, and we try to take the pulse and design specifications and standards that make sense for the global market. Now, when we talk about uh, quality specifications and standards that are used internationally, like ISO, where do those fit in exactly? Yeah, I'm, I'm, by the way, listeners, I'm sitting here listen, uh, watching uh, Michael uh, video. I should have recorded the video. And that is a reaction that many people get. They yawn. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is so boring. And but that's where, you know, fitting this in where for our listeners that aren't familiar with lean, where does standards like ISO standards, quality standards fit in to a lean model or a lean approach? Well, let me backtrack a bit. Um one of the core insights of the Toyota engineers back in the back in the fifties was that um, with everything to do you do, there's a core cost. You work with the people locally there in North Carolina. You're going to pay them the rates of North Carolina. Yeah, what can you do? You work with uh, rare resources on the markets. So you're going to buy them at a market rate. What can you do? You know, there's only so much you can do to reduce core costs. I mean, you can always move stuff to China, but then you would have transport costs or whatever. You know, right. So what can you do about the core costs? But to add to these costs, you add the cost of your stupidity. You are the cost of your mistakes. You are the cost of the waste. You are the cost of all these things that you do that just add costs and don't deliver anything. 
So these things make uh, take many, many, what we call waste, take many forms. And the whole lean method is just a way to look into these things and to try to understand the misconception. Why do we do this? What is a stupid idea? So the misconception in uh, methodologies such as ISO is mis is confusing technical processes with organizational processes. So standards are, are very important when they're technical standards. When you understand that such machine has to be um, set with this level of precision, because if not, you get this level of output, that's really useful to know. You really need to know this. There, and, and particularly in your industry, what I can imagine, that some people understand what the machines really do and how to set them, and some don't. So if you really understand how the machine works, of course, you have less rework and less waste, less cost. Now, other processes are about setting processes as people doing what? This is the reg it's procedures, regulations. Yeah, this is so, how we do this. Yeah. And, and this is just plain cost. I mean, then you, you have auditors to audit where you, the, you follow things by the book. And, and there was a really fun, um, the CIA declassified a few years ago, the OSS sabotage manual. And I read the part of our organizational sabotage, and it really says, you know, absolutely follow the hierarchy, whatever it says. Uh, whenever there's a decision to to take, ask five people to sign off on them, you know. And they have all these these way, you know, you know, double check every decision. Um, there's all these, you know, they, they have all these ways to sabotage an organization, and you say, oh. Wow, I'm reading the perfect project manager manual. You know, this is what we do every day. <laughs> so, yes, I really yeah. believe that these large scale process based uh, quality standards don't help with quality. They don't help, they help with procedures, but they don't help operators better understand the real standards that we need to know, which are the technical standards that you need to master to get the job done right first time. So it's all waste. So give, give me an example or give our listeners an example of mastering a technical standard and let's say an, an, an industry that you're familiar with so that they can discern the difference between you know, what, what a technical standard really is. I remember a fun case where uh, a supplier to Toyota, where uh, the, there was a machine that was doing uh, wrong parts more than more than you should, and the guy from Toyota came in and said, "Well, do you have the manual for the machine?" Of course, nobody had the manual for the machine, so they had to look for technical specifications. So it was a big drama just to get the manual. Eventually, they found the manual, and the first line says, "The guy says it says that the floor should be perfectly flat." Exactly. And people look at the floor and you go, oh, come on. And say, well, first set it like the manual says, perfect flat. So big drama, you can imagine. This yeah. is a two-ton machine and so forth. Eventually, they ended up redoing the floor. They put the machine back on it and all the parts are correct. And that's a real story uh, from our industry, especially press manufacturers, when they install a press onto a factory floor. Yeah, I can. That's why I thought of it. But I, I, but also the important point is that the guy probably knew that. He just wasn't about. To, there were two lessons in it. Is the, the first lesson is RTFM, 
read the fucking manual. Yeah. Uh, the second lesson is be correct and follow the technical standards. So this would be a technical standard. Got it. Uh, this is a bit, uh, this is a bit over, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a caricature, no, but it's very relevant for us. Yeah. For me as a writer, a technical standard is, you know, um, how clear is my argument is, do I, do, do I put my, my word, my sentences in active form or passive form? Um, are the words that I use actually precise and correct? Um, you know, technical standards is where the craft is. So technical standards would be for the same is how do you bring the precision of craftsmanship in industrial operation? And it's, and that is very relevant to what we do when we're talking about uh, creatives. We have uh, very subjective, you know, art uh, directors, designers that are, you know, designing this package or a, a, a graphic design, and then it needs to be manufactured. And, and a lot of the time there's a communication uh, breakdown or issue between what they perceive is good or what they need and what the manufacturing quality specifications and standards for, let's say, color accuracy if I need to print my Nike uh, orange the same way across, you know, all these different uh, processes, um, they have that thought in manufacturing on how to do that and execute it correctly. And then we have the designer that has a different set of expectations. So, well, that, that's a very good example of lean engineering. Uh, how do you make a better product? Is like on one hand, you have what you know how to do in manufacturing. So the tendency will be to Six Sigma, for instance, the tendency would be to constrain the designer to only what you want to do. But then, of course, this is going to be boring and probably not in the spirits of the time. On the other hand, they have designers that, if they're good, have a pretty good idea of what the spirits of the time is. And they want to do start with a blank page and do whatever. But you can't do that in manufacturing. So the lean, the lean approach is saying, hey, what do we keep? What do we change? Let's negotiate. Now, if there is something that we change that manufacturing doesn't know how to do, we'll have a special project to get manufacturing to do it. The rest, we keep the same. So uh, there is a, this whole debate about standards. Of course, you want to move towards something that fits with the spirit of the time to, uh, to do the marketing job, because if it's too constrained by, ma by manufacturing, then you lose the whole point of it, which is make an attractive, attractive uh, packaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, this performance of an attractive packaging is, is riddled with mistakes because you can't hold the parameters in the production, then you also lose. Again, both of these losses are terrible costs in the company. On one hand, you have a product that doesn't sell, which is hugely expensive. On the other hand, you also have a product that doesn't sell because it looks terrible. So we understand the waste of these two locking terribles, and we work in the middle. We say, guys... If we can change one standard at a time, we can change them all. If you tell us the first thing we change, we'll work very hard to see if you can give this to you, but we can't give you all. And this is how you evolve. Understood. 
Michael, I'm sure you have companies uh, that come to mind that are success stories uh, having adopted lean. Can you talk to us about one of those stories and why they chose to go down that path? Oh, sure. It's it's always the same story. Um, it's often the same story. Um, one of my co-authors, uh, Jacques Chaz, of the book, The Lean Strategy, mm-hmm. is a guy who ran his company. They were making uh, valves, you know, valves. Yeah, valves. For hydraulics, you know, valves. Yeah. And and the, um, they they were they were an independent company, but part of a larger uh, Danish group, who had this big big lean program with a big consultancy, uh, which is not lean at all. It's just operational excellence and you know best practice, blah 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 blah. Again, very similar to ISO stuff. And so these guys came in with the consultants and they came into the company and they did what they did. They did the Kaizen events and they did the same and they had the low hanging fruits. And at first it looked good, but then people get really annoyed and they don't, all the special cases were not taking into account. People didn't. And after two years, everybody had enough and everything had gone back exactly to where it was at the beginning. But, um, but the CEO, um, was really interested in the idea of lean. And then they went and did it differently. They found a sensei and they started looking into specific technical issues one by one, solving them. They put in a pool system to reveal the issues. And and they, the, the results was, I can't remember now, but the results were spectacular. And this, this, this very same guy became so much an advocate that as uh, he retired, he's now himself a sensei and he co-wrote the book with me. And Dan Jones, who is one of the founders of Lean and Orif Hume, who is the founder of Lean yeah. Accounting. So this is one story. I have exactly the same similar story right now. I'm working with a guy with a, who built a 700 million euros digital company, believe it, from his computer with his partner, you know? That's yes, insane. yes. And, and then at some point they had such scale-up issues that he turned to lean and he had the same experience. He went to consultants, had a program. It was interesting, but it didn't last. It didn't work, but he was interested. And eventually he found a sensei. And and did lean the right way. What are some of the the why do people resist or object or you know what are the barriers to uh, get companies and manufacturers to adopt lean? And I guess also I'd like to ask. I mean, here's two questions. What uh, why do people revert back to old ways of thinking uh, when they're experiencing problems or they want to improve? The uh, is it just simply you know that constant the the obvious which is you know with people don't like change oh this is not a five minute conversation uh have you got two hours but okay let's let's go back to your initial question what what is the resistance the 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 entry ticket to lean is bad news first the entry ticket to lean is problems first people want to tell you what they do well and that's fine but it's not very helpful because if they do well, they do it well. So the, the, the people who are really good at lean is people who are, who take total responsibility without the guilt. And they're just interested in what they do wrong. They're not interested in sort of beat somebody up or beat themselves up about it. They're just yeah. curious. And sometimes they have a bit of a sense of humor and they find it just interesting. That That is the entry ticket to lean is that you look at your misconception, your access to truth is not discovering the holy true principle deep inside yourself. 
it's it's actually taking away all the silly things that you think. It's like Michelangelo looking for the statue in the marble. If you take away the marble, you find the statue. Well, this is the same idea, is that if we take away our misconception one by one, whatever remains, however fuzzy and unstructured, is closer to the truth. So the entry ticket to lean is this turn of mind that you can appreciate your own mistakes and the silly things that you do and the bad news without getting your knickers in a twist about it and getting all upset. Talking about a, really a spiritual principle of being uh, humble and open and uh, uh, willing to Oh, no, I'm French. We don't do humble. Humble, <laughs> humble. I don't know where humble comes from. And this is such an American thing, this humble thing. For, for instance, and and will you agree that most Americans are incredibly humble? Imagine for the rest of the world. Uh, is this yeah. really how we see Americans? No, I don't think so. So uh, this whole thing about a humility and servant oh. leadership. No, it's just being curious, man. Cur- it's there you go. Curious. It's just being curious. Yeah. You just want to understand what works. And No, the th- you understand fundamentally that we as human beings find it very difficult to distinguish what works from what we like. So can you repeat that one more time? Well, when we are, look, there's ideas, ideas have a taste. Some things we like, some things we dislike, correct? Right. Some things work, some things don't work. Mm -hmm. So if we're lucky, there's an idea that we like that works. That's lucky. When there's an idea we dislike that doesn't work, well, it's very easy to (laughs) not do it. But life is unfair. Sometimes we have ideas that we like that don't work and we keep doing it until it will. But why should it? It doesn't work. Right. And sometimes there are ideas that work, but we don't like. Uh, so yeah. the whole thing about about lean is is we understand this and we are rational at looking at things that don't work. And that is not a personal challenge that doesn't challenge what does work. It's just interesting. So the whole lean system of pool system, reducing lead time, reacting to every mistake, uh, visualizing problems rather than improving capacity, the whole lean system is just a big test system that will show up bad news all the time, what doesn't work. And when you look at it, you don't look at it to fix it. Mm -hmm. You look at it to understand it. It really is a people development thing. So what happens is that when you do this over a long time, you're more confused about generalities, but do you learn about specifics? And if you do this with an entire population and you create like this a culture of problem solvers, so you create a a culture of people for whom quality is a very important value and problem solvers, then it's amazing. And, and And teamwork, which is solving problems across functions, across barriers with other people. It's amazing what you can do. And, and respect in lean is not respect as being polite. It's, it's about making the most effort you can to understand the other person's position nice. because you want to solve the problem because you want to understand it. So the element of humility that I would see would be nothing. You have all the answers, but, but I think we all agree that nobody thinks they have all the answers or, or they're, they're, they're really a, a complete jerk. Um, it's more of a belief that it's a growth culture, a belief that if you learn, it will, first, you can learn. Second, it will pay. Got it. 
Yeah. So as people get older, very often they think that learning is too expensive. They don't have time for it. And, and the, the core, the core thing in lean is no, 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 you, you keep, you keep the belief that you need to learn and it will pay. If people are seeking to understand the concepts of lean to introduce lean into their organization, um, you have a uh, lean planet, right? And, planet lean, yeah. Yeah, planet lean, planet lean. What are some of the initial steps would you advise? Should I hire a lean sensei? What is a lean sensei? Uh, should I, <laughs> should I uh, go, uh, go to Planet Lean and uh, download all the books? Can you help me out? Yes, if I'm just, yes, of course. Uh, I'm no, all right. Yeah. The first steps are not okay. Here's the thing you don't do, or but you will do it, which is hire a consultant and get your fingers badly burned. Now, don't do it, but then you'll do it because everybody does it. Right. You know, I think, yo, let's let's pay somebody to learn from me, to learn in my to learn in my stead and then do some really silly stuff. But once you've passed that and if you survived it, the what I would recommend is first, uh lean is a paradigm shift. So read everything you can about it. Just read. There's so much stuff now. Start with the classics and read. Uh, I always start in companies with a book club. And this is the most, strangely, is one of the most powerful things that we do. Uh, and even at the distance, I've started a book club with the senior management. And wow, it's, it's, it's a very simple step and it's very powerful. The second thing I'd say is join the lean community. Figure out who's who. Uh, it's like any. It's a really big field now. As we so we have our chapels and disagreements and uh, oppositions between people and all these things, like every movement. And it's all interesting. So joining the community, hearing what people do, and hearing who's who and does what. And finally, uh, you find a sensei. But finding a sensei is uh, senses are rare, expensive, pain in the ass. Um, so you have to find a sensei you can work with. Uh, finding a sensei is like in martial arts. It's part of the journey. You don't hire a sensei. I'll put it that way. If you hire a sensei, beware. It's because it's a sensei for hire. <laughs> a, sensei, you, a sensei is somebody you you get on with who's, who's friendly and you finance his, you finance it and you, you pay for, you pay for his time, but the, you don't hire a sensei. You, you find somebody who, who is keen on getting you to learn and helping you. Um, and yes, we do have a dirty secret in lean is that there is a bottleneck at the sensei level. That's very true. That's, that's true because the tradition is you, you can count the degrees of t separation. You know, for instance, I was taught by my father who learned by, with Mr. Hayashi, who learned from Taishi. You know, we can, we can, there's a lineage a bit like, like, like yeah. it would be in Buddhism. You have a lineage of people with a tradition, with a lot of oral non-written stuff. So, so yeah, the steps that tend to work are these is first read everything you can. Uh, secondly, join the, join the LEI and the lean community. And in that, in that mess of a community, find a sensor you can work with. But um, lean is really not for everybody. And why is that? There are two questions you need to answer when you start. Is first, um, do you want to win or are you happy to stay in the game? I mostly work with founders or owners because they're in there to win. It's their money and their future. 
I rarely get on with professional CEOs because they're happy to stay in the game until they get the next gig. Or they're happy to game the game. So they get their package and bonuses. And so whatever happens to the company, you know, it's like a financial turnaround. So the first question is, do you want to actually, do you understand the infinite game of, do you want to really crack this thing of a steady growth based on people, sustainable growth, profitable growth, or do you want to stay in the game? So that's, that's the first question. And it's not an easy question to answer. The second question is, um, are you ready to change <laughs> or are you keen to have a lot of alibi activities to not to change? So uh, as a leader, are you ready to change yourself? And again, yes, you could say it's humility, but it's not humility. I mean, some of the best lean leaders I know are arrogant as sin, but, but, but they are ready to change. They are people who know how to learn and can change their minds and are ready to do so. So the second question is, are you ready to change or are you looking for activities not to change? For instance, that's my beef against Six Sigma. You can do a lot of Six Sigma so that you don't have to challenge your deeper assumptions about your markets and your products and where your company is and not change, if you see what I mean. I see. So, so basically, these are, to me, these are the two questions to really consider seriously. Lean is for serious people. Lean is for people who believe that when you seek a goal, you have to find a credible method to get there. Because if you have no method, you get there, it's luck and it works once but not twice. If you have a method that doesn't reach the goal, it's being French, which is fairly stupid. And if you have neither method nor goal, well, what can you say? But it, it, there's a degree of seriousness and commitment to learning and to creating a learning culture and a problem-solving culture, and to taking on challenges. is rarer than you'd think. You'd think everybody does, but in actual practice, uh, a lot of people out there are looking for alibis. Well said, and I just want to thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I personally got... No, thank you. It's, uh, it's great fun. Wow, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's my pleasure. It's um, uh, um you, you, people are usually very irritated by what I say. I, th I find you very calm. <laughs> is, it, is it North Carolina, right? No, 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 not at all. I think that uh, it's because I've. Uh, well, I think it's more from my father, uh, like you, um, my dad, um, uh, young age. You know, he's a web press. Um, my father worked in a factory for years as a master pressman for a, a large web offset press, printing Smithsonian magazines and National Geographic covers and things like that. And then um, he, we also ran a shoanru. That's an Okinawa Japanese style of karate shoanru uh, karate school for years. He was very uh, successful in that. And uh, also Buddhism. Um, I, I went to a Buddhist Vihara uh, right outside of D.C. for uh, several years as a youngster uh, with my dad. Uh, he studied uh, Eastern philosophies and learned them when he was uh, or became familiar with them when he was stationed in Okinawa. So a lot of that relates to uh, lean and um, especially the uh, I've read some books, uh, the one in particular, Toyota Kata from Mike Rother and then uh, to Toyota Way to Lean, uh, lean Leadership by 
um, Jeffrey Liker. So <clears throat> that's why I kind of gravitate. Uh, to a lot of the concepts and do understand them, I think, at uh, the more fundamental level. Father's stories are wonderful because my dad went to Japan and see Toyota and then Japan sort of fell on his head. So he started doing karate and learning the language and we're going to a study trip in Japan. He's already there and he's 80 something and he's, he's there taking a a Japanese course, believe it or not. And, and, and so I remember I have these horrid memories at the time that he would drag me to his karate lessons. And, and this wasn't, this wasn't Ponchu karate lessons. This was his, you know, the intellectual Bushido, uh, meditation, then karate wow. stuff, you know, and right. and as a teenager, I just hated it. <laughs> I can tell you, there was a lot of kicking and screaming when me and my brother every night, every, every all the other kids would get out of school and they were out in the neighborhood playing at the playground and me and my brother had to sit in classes learning katas and katas oh, are I, I, I could never remember boring. a single kata believe that <laughs> I, I, uh, anyway so but you know it's all uh i, I mean heck it, it it helped me out uh tremendously in life i mean there's the you know the discipline and discipline. Uh, the thinking and um you know observation constant correction my yes. gosh constant correction to the point but uh you know learning how to deal with it in a calm manner you know not getting emotional um, or upset or yeah even though it's you know human nature and it's so funny because i would say well dad you got pissed off at uh that guy over there but you're telling me (laughs) typical kids like no you you do as i say not as i do Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway so yeah it was uh so that's why, you know, I just uh, love to listen. And I'm so happy that I was able to get you on. I, uh, you know, uh, just I believe in it because of my you know history and, and growing up with a father who, you know, practiced martial arts and uh, was called a sensei. And then I look at it in manufacturing and just the little bit that I that I understand and apply and uh, you know, out on a factory Here's floor. the funny thing really about Toyota important. is yeah. that um, there's a lot to learn from the Japanese side of it, of the culture. But the truth is that they're very un-Japanese in many ways because they learned a lot from the West, both from Germany and from the States. So, and I'm French, so it's again something else. And to me, Lean is fascinating because it's the first really, truly global movement. This is not uh, the American way being imposed on the world. This is not the Japanese way either. It's, uh, it's, it's a unique blend of many cultural traditions uh, to to that came together, so I, I think that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty unique. It's pretty interesting. Michael, we are at the uh, almost coming up on the uh, hour mark, and uh, we'll go ahead and close the podcast. And I can't wait to have you back on again. And thank you so much for sharing your experience and time with us today. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas suggestions or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org that's j-c-o-l-l-i-n-s at idealliance.org take care and have a productive day